welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash Church. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. We continue in our verse by verse study of Colossians. We come now to Colossians chapter 3. And uh, words to the family. And so uh, hear with me the word of God. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is God's perfect word. It alone can speak with authority to any heart because it's his. May he do so today in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Amen. Well, I was reading a little bit of the life story of Christina Fox. She's a counselor and retreat speaker and author of a number of books uh, about the family, including Tell God How You Feel, Helping Kids with Hard Emotions, so a book written to older children. And she was writing about, you know, it's, it's interesting, everybody thinks when you get to talk about this for a living that you're an expert. <laughs> okay, content warning, not an expert. Uh, learning in grace, reflecting even more in grace over our lives, my life as a parent. But she was... Uh, being transparent, even though she writes about parenting, she was talking about a conversation she had at the table. And uh, she said, one of my kids made this comment while we were gathered around the dinner table one evening. Mom isn't cool. So I immediately felt compelled to prove otherwise. And I proceeded to share some really cool stories from my life that my, my, my child didn't know. I say, well, I, I said, did, you, did I ever tell you about the time that I... And I went into this cool story. And he would just look at me unimpressed and shrug his shoulders with each story. The rest of the family laughed at my efforts to lift myself up in the eyes of my son. I soon ran out of stories and felt deflated, doomed to wear the scarlet title of uncool mom. But what I forgot in that moment was that my job as a mom isn't to be cool in the eyes of my children. My job isn't to shine a light on myself at all. Rather, my job is to point my children to someone else entirely, God. I thought she got the essence of what every parent battles to be and do right. Parents, can you relate to her? (laughs) Boy, I tell you, I can. It's a tough role to walk in. And the point at which you know the most about parenting is after most of your involvement in it tends to be in the past. It's it's an interesting phenomenon. It's a hard battle and a hard walk to win in. And if you want to be a biblical parent today, you're opposed also by a maddened culture, a totally broken culture, I think, when it comes to the identity of parents and children and the interaction of parents and family. There is so much that opposes what the Bible said was God's design. 
But we can see God glorified in our lives as parents if we persist in his principles. I cannot emphasize that enough. If we persist in his principles, if we we take the right direction and we keep on seeking to walk in the right and even better things. That's the essence of, I think, the great truths that we've learned as parents and are continuing to learn. I think she had it right. The biggest job that a parent has is to point their children to God in essence and in their own life and engaging in Him. Keep pointing to who He is, what He wants for them, and what He can mean for them. Now it's interesting that um, the parent-child relationship is found many in many, many places in the Bible. And today we're going to be talking about two dimensions, the relationship of parent to children, pardon me, children to parents rather, and then parents to children, particularly dads. This comes up in the New Testament in a number of places. Ephesians 6 is the companion passage to this, which we'll look at briefly today. It comes up a lot in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Proverbs, written by a man looking back on broken parenting from his own life. And so many other places, the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, We're going to visit that today. So much of the law that was given from Moses to the people of Israel so that they could understand God's design because from the very beginning, the the fracture in the family has been a, a fault line for the tempter and for great sin. We see it in our first parents, Adam and Eve, and in the disaster that arose in humankind through their first children, and on and on it goes. So what we learn today is part of what the Scripture has woven as frequent insight. And uh, we're going to be revisiting, we visit this text, but it it revisits a whole bunch of the Bible is what I'm trying to say. But we come to it today in our study, and so we open it, and I want you to to revisit all that the Bible says and renew your heart if you're parents, renew your heart if you're grandparents, and open your heart if you're a young person today. Part of what God has to say today is for you, young people. Now remember, the passage is really built after a movement in chapter 3, verse 1, where he talked about we've now been moved into new life. We have new life in Christ, so the possession of this new life should result in new living. That's the whole stream of his thought. And he's gone from describing new life in the first half of the chapter to then start talking about how new living comes out of that in our relationships with one another, our relationships in the church. Now he comes to the dimension of the family. We started it a couple weeks ago. Wives are are talked about in responding to their husband's leadership, verse 18. Husbands are talked about in protective, initiating love in verse 19. They create the entire atmosphere for the whole family to work. Husbands do. It's the ideal design. Now we get to children, obeying your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord, verse 20, and fathers not provoking your children lest they become discouraged. So there are really two audiences to whom I speak because there were two groups of people to whom Paul wrote. So two audiences then and now. Uh, When Paul wrote an epistle, and you can see this as you read any of the epistles, really, he sent them to the churches 
Churches gathered and they read the teaching of the apostles. They read epistles from those who were known to be the apostles and the spokesmen of God. And Paul clearly was one. So when he wrote the epistle to the Colossians, it wasn't to one person. It wasn't to the pastor, so-called of the Colossian church. It was to the whole church. And so when the epistle arrived in Colossae from Paul... It was read by the spiritual leaders of that church to the whole congregation when they gathered on a Sunday morning on a worship day. It's interesting that he addresses wives, husbands, children, and fathers. That means that in the gathered church at that time, the the church heard this letter with all the generations in the room. A little different than our context today and the structures that we have today. So when when this was read, you need to have in your mind's eye that young children, at least, or pardon me, children who could understand the scriptures were sitting in the congregation. As I've asked for some to be here today. So there were two groups of people. He, he, he literally spoke into the lives of children in verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So as they sat there and this part of the epistle was read, the children in the audience stirred, the young people stirred, and Paul was speaking right to them. So this, this clearly teaches that the word of God and the principles of the word of God are designed to break upon a regenerate heart in a young person. This is why we teach the scriptures. It's why we read the scriptures. It's why we remind of the scriptures with our kids. They are not just there and hearing it because we're supposed to tell our kids. They have been spiritually regenerated and they're now designed to take in truth just like you are, mom and dad. Not at the intellectual level, not at the maturity level, not in the understanding level perhaps, but this was for them. Paul was having a momentary devotional time with the children in the church. I think that's a beautiful thing, don't you? So really, I'm going to preach the message today the same way he wrote it to the two audiences. And so young people, kids, I'm going to begin with you first. Hey, you guys get to go ahead of your parents. Pretty exciting. So what does God say to you guys as kids, as children, about your role in life? Well, he says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Let me sum it up in one sentence, and you'll see it on the screen. I think that what what he's saying through the scripture here is that God is glorified. Remember, the, the theme of this message is God's glory in your family. God is glorified, young people, when children, like you guys, listen to and obey their parents' loving instructions about life. I think that's a way of describing what verse 20 says. God is glorified when children listen to and obey their parents' loving instructions about life. Now, what does this mean? Well, guys, I'm just going to break it up and I'm just going to make some observations. And along the way, one or two applications so you can understand how you can live that out. Now, everybody's listening in. I'm just not talking just to kids. But... What does the text say to all of us, but particularly to you young people? Well, take a look at the flow. I mean, first of all, um, this isn't just singling out kids. Often we say children have to obey. That's the essence of a happy family. It's their job 
No, this is all in the context of two very important others, wives following the leadership of their husbands and husbands creating that loving leadership covering over their entire home, verse 19. So everybody's involved in God's glory in the family and children are called to obey. Look look at it. After husbands and wives, moms and dads walk in their roles. So they're responding to an environment in which God's plan is being lived out by mom and dad. So everybody's a part of this. Kids are to obey, yes, but they're, they're to obey in a context where their parents love and lead them. So that's important. Also, who he's talking to when he says children here, what exactly, who exactly, what age was he, was he addressing there? And the, the commentators, it, it's the word technon, and it could describe children in a broad range, but most of them believe this term children is... Um, not linked to a specific age. We're not talking about very young children. The, the word described children in relation to their parents, and the assumption is that they were at home still, and they were under their parents' supervision and provision. So this could cover a pretty wide age, okay? So any younger person who's still at home and still under the responsibility and guidance of their parents should be listening today. That's who he's speaking to in this passage. And again, they were all there in the gathered church to hear this epistle read. So um, let's take a look at the, the, the whole idea. Children, obey your parents. Look at that phrase. That's a very important role to fill. Kids say, I, you know, I, I'm not really even sure if you're a younger person and you're growing in your identity as a young teen or what have you. Who am I and what am I supposed to be about? And the society and all your friends are telling you all kinds of things and, and all kinds of other places are urging you to, to take on your own identity and explore who you are and all of that. And you may be wondering, what is God's role for me? Right now, the primary role for you is to obey your parents in everything. I guess I could put it this way. If, if you're, a, you're, a, you're a young person at home, you're still growing up under your parents' care. There's a lot of people calling you to be different things, explore different things, identify as different things, whatever. But you have one clear role, and that is to respond to your parents. That's your biggest job in Scripture. You don't have to take on this whole world yet. You take it on as you mature and as you move out of the, the covering of your home. But you don't have to take on all that stuff yet. You don't even have to explore it yet. You need to walk in the the call of your parents. So you have one big job, one single job. And, And it's important because the Bible says that how kids respond to parents can change a whole society. It's interesting. In Romans chapter 1, Uh, The Bible talks about what a culture looks like when it's in a spiral of decline, which is sadly what ours is today. In Romans 1, 28 and 30, it talks about the fact that one of the key drivers of the decline of any culture is when we we see children disobeying their parents. I know that's a heavy thought, but look at it, Romans 1, 28. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful, they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. You see, disobedience to parents is placed in this sliding scale of horrible sin. Why is that? Because it, it, it marks a world, apparently, that is increasingly denying God. 
Now notice he says obeying parents pleases the Lord. What would disobeying parents mean? It means you're walking out of the will of God and it doesn't please the Lord. It's denying God his will in your life. That's strong language, but it's right there. Now why would disobedience to parents that grows in any culture be something that creates disaster in the culture? Because God designed the family environment to be a place where a young person learns obedience in everything at the home through their parents' guidance as a way of pleasing God so that when they get out of the home, they will have built the habit of obedience and trust and they carry that on in their adult relationship with God and they live that out in their world, the next generation. But if that principle is broken in the founding generation, they haven't built the habit of trusting and obeying their parents and trusting authority and trusting God's authority behind their parents. That's why mom and dad have to be godly parents. They will have not built that life commitment, that way of living. And so that disobedience to authority will will pass over into other authorities, whether it's teachers or employers or the law itself or cultural uh, moral issues, moral rules that God has given and ultimately his call in their lives. It moves out into their future if it's been allowed to decay in their present. This is why obedience to parents was placed in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother, Exodus 20, 12, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. It's remarkable that this dimension of the family was placed into the heart of what God commanded for his will in society. Command says to honor your father and mother so you can live long in the land. There's a natural consequence if you honor your father and mother growing up and you continue to honor them in life. There is a carryover from your beginning into your ending, from your start into your, your, your life, your next generational influence. And it keeps God's righteousness regarded in society. And there's a good chance that you'll replicate that in your parenting so there are natural consequences, and it's, it's amazing, young people, that God says that your response to your parents can create spiritual happiness for them or spiritual sadness for them, kids. The Bible speaks to you, young guys, young, young guys and girls. How you respond in your family can affect your mom and dad. Did you know that? Proverbs 10, verse 1, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. See, society teaches today that you get to be your own person whenever you want to be your own person. Oh no, whatever you do has consequences on others. And God said, you have a special place in your family, young people. You can bring the greatest joy or the deepest grief. Proverbs 13.1, a wise son accepts his father's discipline. He obeys his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. What kind of a young person are you developing to be, young people? There's also a dimension where you bring great joy. Proverbs 23, 24, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. That's the joy and the excitement of God's pattern working, not perfectly, but oh, we see Such a blessing for a family that walks in these things. So uh, he says, obey your parents. Interesting, back in our text, he 
The word obey there came from a Greek word which meant to come under and look up and listen. To come under, look up, and listen. And that's what we need to do, young people. You're under your parents' covering and love and authority. You should look up to them as they're your leaders, and you should listen to what they say. Look up, come under, look up, and listen. It's a beautiful word. Notice it also says, in everything. Wow. Not just in Sunday school, not just when they talk about the Bible, but in everything. This seems to cover everything about your life and your world. This may be a mind blower. Moms and dads have been given the role by God to teach you about everything in life while you're with them and to direct you about everything in your life while you're with them. You need to be listening. People's minds are blown because we live in such an invented independence culture. But this this seems to be what the text is saying, not just spiritual things, life. Now, a couple other things. As you do this, it's the best thing you can do for yourself. <laughs> People say, I want my freedom. I, you know, and, and, and kids, our society works to detach kids from parents and detach kids from families and detach them from confidence in their parents and place their confidence in many other orbits and authority figures and knowledge givers and our whole society just like this, right? God says, listen, Listening, coming under, looking up, and listening to your parents, it can be a blessing for you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Do you want a future that will open up in blessing? One of the things that helps assure that is that you... You come under, look up to, and listen. There's a blessing. Now, parents, there's so many ways in which this occurs, and I think there should be family devotion times, of course, but you should be in a, in a relationship with your kids. Hopefully, you should be seeking to build one where you're having conversations through real life. And as real life arises and they have questions or you think they might, you're able to just, as a way of life, speak through the Word of God together and explore what God says. Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. These commandments, Moses said, that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. He's speaking to parents now. Impress them on your children. Think about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Moses was saying that the greatest family devotion is one that moves through the cadences of life. And as you're walking in situations and your kids have questions, realize and resolve those questions in your knowledge of the word and your own values and your own learned obedience to God. And you, you, you develop your kids as you go along. That's important too. So it's in everything and it's the best thing young people you can do for yourselves. And here's the last thing. It's the best thing you can do for God. Look at the passage and you go back to Colossians. He says, children, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Very important, young people. Do you want to know what God desires in your life right now? He wants you to obey your mom and dad. He wants you to walk under their loving leadership. When you do that, it not only pleases mom and dad, it pleases you. If you don't have a dad in your life right now, but your mom is with you, it pleases your mom. 
If grandparents are currently given given leadership and care over your life because some things in your family didn't go go right, it will please them. They're in that role. They want to give you the best. And when you respond to them, you're pleasing them and you're pleasing God. He says, pleasing to him, well-pleasing, eurystos, it, it meant to bring pleasure to the heart of God. It's an interesting word. You, another place you find it is, is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Interesting passage in Romans chapter 12. Famous passage, right? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When we say, Lord, I want to be yours, young people, when you say, Jesus, I want to follow you, you're presenting yourself to the Lord. And he says that's acceptable to God. That's the same word as pleasing to God in our passage. It gives God pleasure. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Acceptable is the word well-pleasing. So it says says there that God wants you to be devoted to his will and your mom and dad can show you a lot of what God's will is. And when you walk in God's will, even though you may not want to do it right now as a younger person, but your mom and dad say, listen, listen, This is what God wants for you through the Bible. You go ahead and step into that. You will find a blessing because what does the Bible say in verse two about God's will? It's good and pleasing and perfect. In a way, when you obey your parents and they call you into walking for God, even though you may not want to do it or you don't, you resist it. Step out by faith and grow in that with your parents. And you'll see that God's will for your life can be good and pleasing and perfect. It's the right way to live. And here's the connection. If you grow up this way with your parents, listen, young people, when you leave your home and you become a person that directs their own life, you'll grow on this way with the Lord. That's so important, I'm going to repeat it. If you grow up this way with your parents, following God's leadership and God's will as they explain it to you in the word of God and obey the word of God together with them, if you grow up this way with your parents, you'll likely grow on this way with the Lord in your own life. Don't only be a Christian when you come in to a kid's program and then think that's just what God wants. He wants you to be one who follows him every day, every moment. You'll take your faith with you. So, young people, God is glorified when you guys as children listen to and obey your parents' loving instruction about life. So if you're young and at home, that's your primary purpose. Oh, no, it does please God. Well, now let me shift to the other people that were in the room that day when this epistle was read to the Colossians, and that's parents. I like to think that when this part was read, um, the kids were kind of kind of wiggling in their seats or maybe straining a little bit or chafing. And then when he gets to the part about fathers, <laughs> there's a little relaxation in the audience and a little shifting in the chairs. And some of the kids started kind of taking a look at that. <laughs> you know, hey, kids are kids every generation. Would you give me that? Oh, yeah. So here's the second. Now he shifts to parents, and more specifically, as I'll tell you in a moment, he shifts to fathers. Um, Here's the principle, or, or the way I put together verse 21 in words. 
God is glorified when parents, but especially fathers, encourage their children and build hope in their hearts. God is glorified when parents, but especially fathers, encourage their children and build hope in their hearts. Again, some observations and then application here as well. Who was he talking to then? Well, like I said, there was a shifting in the seats and he spoke to parents. Now, it's interesting, the Greek word fathers here can be translated as parents. In fact, it is in the, in the epistle to the Hebrews. It can mean both mom and dad. But the majority of the commentators that I looked at and the vast majority of all the translations of this render it like it is in this text, fathers. So this is a word for moms and dads. But it seems especially given to fathers. That's the way I'll be teaching it. Why would that be? Well, two guesses on my part. One is that fathers are the most responsible in the domain of their home to create that atmosphere of submitting to the Lord in their own life and lovingly leading as best they can and growing through it. Their whole family, that's verse 19. Notice that both wives and children are given roles of response in this passage. The husband is the only one given the role of active leadership, of action. As a husband moves into the call of God's action to love his wife, to love his children, the wives can respond to that leadership and the children can obey in that environment. So who's he talking to? Parents, yes, moms and dads need to listen. I'm shifting to you. Fathers need to especially listen. Now, men are also, I think, the second reason. They're not only are they most responsible, but they seem to be most susceptible to something. And that is to what he talks about here, provoking their children. This is a sobering phrase. It appears that he's speaking mostly to fathers because fathers are most susceptible, it seems, to a damaging mistake, to provoking their children. In fact, fathers, guys, we're so susceptible to it that the Greek text here says, stop provoking your children. It's something that we slip into so easily that we do it almost without even knowing. We do it reflexively. And I'll talk about some ways that we do it. So it's something to be deeply aware of. Now, the word provoke is very powerful. Provoking your child, how would you be doing that? The other places translated exasperate came from the word Greek word aretho, which meant to stir somebody to anger. I'm going to read what the commentators wrote because this pierces my soul. This is not me reading to you. This is those that look at the text reading to all of us. Erethidzo means to cause someone to react in a way that suggests acceptance of a challenge, to arouse, to provoke mostly in a bad sense, and thus to irritate or embitter. Our English word exasperate 
From the Latin, exasperare, to make rough, to irritate, to anger, means to make resentful, to cause annoyance, to irritate to a high degree, to provoke, to anger, to rouse, to rage, to inflame to an extreme degree, to irritate intensely, to infuriate, to cause an unpleasant feeling of condition or condition, to worsen or be aggravated. In the secular Greek of the time, it often was used to talk about a spark kindling a fire. You look at this and you say, well, fathers, don't provoke your children. And some of us might think, okay, that means to get into an angry altercation with my kid. This is where, you know, we get into a, a fight over out in the yard over what I want him to do. And he stands off against me for a minute and I kind of bow my back against him. It's a rare occurrence. And we both realize it's wrong. No, he's not talking about that. It's not a fight in the yard. It's anger that develops in a, in a young person over time. This is different than the anger that a child might have at you over a day or two about you disciplining them. That's the normal anger of a developing soul, and, and they move through that if the discipline is in love and you explain it and you keep loving your, your child your son or your daughter, but this is different than the anger that comes and goes when you rightly discipline. This is different than the anger in a moment over a frustration that's in that sphere of time. This is a settled anger that seems to rise because of something that we're doing. Dr. Peake in his commentary said this seems, I mean, I'm just, there's, there's a question in your mind, how would that be Done and and the commentators that I've looked at said it seems that Paul is poke, is is pointing to he's poking he sure is he's pointing to a particular thing that the dads seem post you know susceptible to and that's creating impossible expectations. Doctor Peak put it this way: this seems to be caused. When a father in a family irritates his children by exacting commands and perpetual fault-finding and interference for interference's sake. That's what seems to create that growing anger or that growing bitterness. Dr. Bruce said it this way, parents and especially fathers are urged not to irritate their children by being so unreasonable in their demands that their children lose heart and come to think that it's useless trying to please their parents at all. So men, this seems to be pointing at us and it seems to be pointing to that ongoing susceptibility we have to creating impossible expectations for our children and maybe even using spiritual words to do it to where they don't believe they could ever really please us and therefore please God at all. And so they begin to be angry at an impossible standard and they begin to withdraw. So it speaks to fathers here because we're susceptible to a damaging mistake. I would say that that would be damaging, and I know because it's happened in my life. Both as I rose in life in my own family and errors that I make in my own. You say, well, how could I be doing this? I mean, well, I mean, before I get to that, there's one last phrase in the text. He says, if you don't get a handle on this, your children will become discouraged. 
And again, that's not just a, a child kind of moving through a bad patch in their life where they're confused or, or they're withdrawing, but, but you walk through it because that's just how life bumps us. It's about kind of a long-term view of themselves that they, they become discouraged and dejected as a pattern in their emotional life and their spiritual life. The word meant to lose heart. It's an interesting word as well, a difficult word to talk about. Uh, thumos is the Greek word for passion, excitement. It can be uh, negative, as in really raging anger, or it can be positive in terms of desire and ambition and vision and belief. The Greek word here, lose heart or become discouraged, is athumos, athumeo. It means suddenly they move into a life where they're without any passion. One commentator put it this way, Athumeu in this text means to become disheartened to the point of losing motivation, to be dispirited or to be broken in spirit, to feel like giving up, to become discouraged or despondent. This latter word means to feel or show extreme discouragement or dejection because of a loss of nearly all hope. Despondent implies a deep dejection arising from the conviction of the uselessness of further effort. To dishearten means to, dis- to weaken or destroy one's hope, courage, enthusiasm, determination, confidence. Dishearten means to demoralize, to depress one's spirits, to cause one to lose spirit or morale, to cause one to be cast down. And in this context, athameo means that the child feels that he can never do anything right and so gives up trying. When children find that they can do nothing right because of constant fault-finding with them, they're apt to become despondent. It's interesting, this is the only New Testament use of this word. Perhaps in a way, in the environment of our homes, it's possible for a person to become deeply discouraged in a way that's kind of unique. This is heavy. Because it's going to happen in some dimension in every Every home is you battle to be better. Let me just answer the obvious question that might be rolling in your mind. How could I be doing this? Or how could I have done it? And now do I need to look into it and grow from it? As a parent now, farther along, my kids are out, or or I'm in the midst of parenting, but this is late in the game. It seems that there's three dimensions as I've thought about it and looked at it. The biggest is over-expectation. It's simply being in an environment where your child cannot quite ever be good enough. Good enough for you. Parents often want their children to do better or be better than they're actually capable of doing. They don't recognize the design of their child, the limits of their child. And a lot of us have our own agenda of our own wholeness and our own acceptance wrapped up in how well our children do. And we don't understand that we need to take all of our identity to the cross where it was made. Our children don't make or unmake us. But if there's an environment of constant fault finding where a person, a child is, that's a C student by capability and environment, and they work hard and bring home four Bs but still have one C, the tendency to point to the one C and say, why can you pull that one up? 
That's just a quaint illustration, but even little things like that barb into the heart of a child. They feel they can never, never live up to where what a parent wants, and, and they begin to say in the interior of their mind, what's the use? No matter what I do, I can't please them. And so this despair sets in, it seems. If there's a constant environment of that, it can be extremely damaging. And there's a psychologist that studied this for years, and he's got kind of a famous quote about it. He said, the child who lives with criticism does not learn responsibility. He learns only to condemn himself and find fault with others. He learns to doubt his own judgment, disparage his own ability, distrust everybody. And above all, he learns to live with continual expectation of impending doom. Wow. That is an emotional frame God's grace can still work in and redeem and restore, but it's, it's not the frame we want our child to live through. That's the biggest thing, it seems. Here's two others as I close. Another one is kind of the opposite. Overprotection. Where we are afraid of seeing our kids move into things that they do need to explore and where things they do need to grow in. And, and we're telling our children, no, a lot. No, you can't do that. No, you, you can't learn that. No, you can't walk into that. And it's, it's a context of preemptive negatives that we do to protect our children, but it can develop into a state of, of legalism in their lives. And, and it creates a frustration context because in a sense, we're sort of like that mom who was with her child at the, at the lake, and he wanted to go into the water like a lot of the other kids were, and she would tell him, you can't go into the water until you learn to swim. (laughs) Overprotective parents, IR1, have been in a big way. Seeing some things to this text, seeing some things as my children move on in their lives where there was a dimension in which I needed to trust God and let them walk in increasing exploration, not in sin, but in responsibility and guide and create freedoms. There's a third way. Um, and it's kind of the opposite of both of these. It's just overindulgence. So you got over expectation, you got over protection, you got overindulgence. This is huge in our society today because our society is filled with institutions and influence that will be happy to um, take over your child. And as parents, driven, preoccupied, burdened, it's the idea of kind of letting our children just loose and not being involved in their lives very deeply at all and letting them do two things, kind of do whatever they want as long as it's not crisis and pretty much letting them have their own way and and parent themselves. We're letting them raise themselves, or even more bizarre, bizarre, we're letting them raise us. By the way, the Old Testament prophets have a lot to say about societies in Isaiah where he says, your children now lead you. And he said, judgment will follow. Our whole society has fallen into that abyss. And, and if we're not careful, we can let the society take over caring for our kids 
And uh, instead of wanting to know where they are every second, we wouldn't know where they are on any given part of the day. Now, a child was not meant to grow up in a world where there's no direction, no limits, no protection, no advice. And so when they're in this, even though the society says this is exactly what they want, in the reality, their soul was built to follow under you and to grow under you. And in their heart of hearts, they know that they're frightened to death about being out there with no guidance. And so what does it do? They don't know how to live, how to grow up, what to do, what's right, what's wrong. And they're angry about nobody really telling them in love. And therefore, as they move farther in life, they give up heart after going through all of the available dimensions of what the society says they can do. They burn themselves out. And they come into their younger adult years hollow inside. And they're disheartened. Now, this is heavy. And you say, wow. I made all those mistakes. I look at a lot of my parenting. I'm on the other side of it, you say, and I, I'm struck today. I'll tell you, I'm struck today. Or you may be right in the middle of the parenting game and you realize, I think I've got these patterns going on, one or more. All of us, like this, the text says, this is something we're automatically, because of our sin nature, prone to. You say, what do you do? I'm at the end of my parenting. No, you're not. <laughs> you can have a relationship with your kids all their lives. And they're supposed to have a relationship with you. That's why Exodus 20 says, honor your father and your mother. That's talking to people at all ages, not just somebody that's under a certain age. So there's an ongoing relationship you have, and there's ongoing growth that can happen. But I'll tell you what. You can't, you can't out-goof out God. I tell you, it's my mantra as an adult. I mean, I'm at the, one of the later turnstiles in life, and I'm looking at all the missteps, the misturns, the, 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 the mistakes, the ongoing habits, everything in my personal life, family, everything else. And I say, oh, God, look at all these areas. Right? I didn't even see it at the time. You can't outrun and outsend God's grace. God is still in control. So let me wrap this up by talking to the two groups that Paul hoped were in church that day. Young people, look up to your mom and dad. Listen to your mom and dad. Obey your mom and dad as they tell you what Jesus would say. And build your future that way. If you grow up in that submissive heart, you'll grow on as an adult with that heart for God. Parents, especially dads, if I would say, look up to kids, I'd say, chin up to us. <laughs> oh, man. There are some of you guys that may not come back to church for like weeks after this. I know I don't want to teach on it for a few weeks. I'll tell you that. It's tough. There's a world against us and there's a lot of ignorance in us. Isn't that true? Especially if we didn't come out of a home that had God's design to begin with in our own lives. I can speak to that. That would help remember three things. One is stay humble about the whole thing. God's in control. 
You can't control outcomes. You just can't. You can seek to walk and walk better. If your children right now moving out of the home are wearing halos <laughs> and other people just compliment you about them, just thank God <laughs> for His goodness, yeah? Try and help keep those halos straight on their way out, but if they begin to sprout horns, go to the same God. Because ultimately, they're in a battle for their own life, their own sanctification. Often what we do makes a huge difference. Sometimes everything we do seems to make a limited difference. But God is in control. He just wants you to be faithful. You say, I've made mistakes all along. Well, this morning is a way for you to step into new faithfulness. And please, God. Second, keep being a learner. I'm telling you. Even if you're late in the life of parenting when things haven't turned out as you hoped or you didn't turn out as you hoped as a mom or a dad, God has lessons for you. Be a learner all the way through. I'm telling you right now, even after your kids are, are moved on in life, listen, our kids still sanctify us. We're always going to be their parents. doesn't matter what the status of our family is, if it's broken through divorce or, or distance we're always going to be their parents and they will be our children. And we can always seek to love them more in Christ and pray that they will grow in that love for him and love for us. And God will use all of it. He really does. He really does. And that's the last. Not only stay humble in the midst of it or, and keep being a learner, throughout it, but seek for grace. Some of you right now are really in, in burden, and I am burdened over my, my walk in life. But you know, the Lord's over it all. He took every misstep in your life, including your parenting life, and He took all of that on that marvelous cross. And so if you're feeling conviction, just take that to the cross, where He already took it before you even understood it. And know that it's there and it's, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And give it to him and look to him for his loving restoration and guidance. And you will find it. There is, it really is a lot to raising a child, but Christina Fox did have the biggest part right. When she said, just keep pointing your kids to God and take your heart with it. Thank you.